I was getting to do what most chefs want to do. So you get to create, and then you have the people to eat it in front of you. Karen Dudley, Cape Town chef and cookbook author, passionate foodie, snappy dresser, and can I just say it, a woman who frankly oozes personality. <laughs> I was talking about vegetable things long ago. Yeah. You know, exciting ways to work with texture and flavor and call out, call out the soul of the vegetables. Yeah. How's your coffee? Um, we spoke in her home in Woodstock, right up the road from the kitchen, Karin's beloved restaurant, and home to the city's most electrifying lunch rush. A place so soulfully Cape Town and yet impossible to peg, with a deli case of salads and slaws reverently filched from every food region on the planet. In a city and a country still so stuck in classifications, the kitchen somehow managed to dance around the mall. We don't have to follow the rules. But in the best way. Because the rules here in this case mean, you know, French cuisine, German cuisine, African cuisine. After serving up thousands of eclectic salad bowls, innumerable love sandwiches, after playing host to untold numbers of romances and palavas, the kitchen after 11 years of loving service, has closed its doors. And we didn't even get to say goodbye. Such a diversity of people, you know, it was a safe space for people. So there is a little bit of a hole. Wow. But the, you know what else is amazing is this kind of affirmation that we did a good thing. We did a beautiful thing. This is Saying Goodbye, a series of conversations with Cape Town business owners and innovators, cultural architects, anchors, and ordinary folks who have, in ways big and small, meant something to us. It's a chance to celebrate what we love most and to mourn what we've lost so abruptly in the wake of COVID-19. I'm your host, writer, poet, and Cape Town transplant, Haley Gaunt. This is Saying Goodbye. Had it taken place in a studio, this would have been a very different conversation. But here I am, in the home of the goddess of hospitality. It would only be right that we speak in her own kitchen. The origin of Karin's local food empire, where it evolved from a hustling catering business, which then migrated to the hole-in-the-wall fish shop on Sir Lowry Road and eventually blossomed into the open seating affair it was in its fullest expression. Um, sorry about all this mess. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> Her kitchen is cluttered in the best way. Big, generous bowls of tomatoes and oranges 
and exciting-looking food experiments. This is a roasted cabbage, like a caramelized cabbage that kind of gets all gloopy and falling apart. It's the soul of the household, where her son sits in an adjacent recess doing schoolwork on the computer, where the coffee pot burbles and Karin's teenage daughter wanders in for a snack and also gets a squeeze from her mom. Hi. Hi! There's another person. There's another person. Oh, my. This is Maggie. Hi, Maggie. Hi. I'm Haley. Where the dog loiters for nuggets of things and nuzzles my knees. This is a living space. The most natural place to reminisce. Yeah, I was having a whale of time. I was basically... Kitchen was like a place where people would would fly in, you know, to the airport and bring and take their Uber and come straight to the kitchen, you know. Yeah. It was that kind of a place. It was like an anchor point for people. So people would have meetings, meet their friends, you know, lovers, partners, business enterprises kind of hatched right there. People having a tiff. (laughs) Plenty. People, things not going well, you know, because that's how life is, you know. People coming, you know, waiting for the beetroot yogurt masala salad or waiting for the sweet potatoes to come out or is the broccoli ready yet, you know. And what? All the sausages are gone. How can the sausages be gone, you know? And, you know, all the dramas, all the difficulties... And then all the beauty that we made. Can I tell you a little story? Yes. I've had my shop for like 11 years. The opportunity came up to expand Mm. my space. The gallery next door to us became available. And we said, yes, we'll take it. That's that's fantastic because we've been eyeing it for years. But now it's the whole thing, you know, you know when you expand, things can go terribly wrong. And because people had such a strong commitment to to the original space, my last thing that I wanted was people to go, oh, you know, I like the old place more. So I knew I could make any space look beautiful. I know how to do that. Mm. But I was a little bit worried, so I spoke to my neighbor across the road, very successful and beautiful interiors place, and he said, Karen, you need to speak to the Feng Shui guy. So I said, all right. He said, no, no, you really must have a visit with the Feng Shui guy. I'm expecting a small Chinese man, you know, or woman, but a small Chinese man is what I'm expecting. And this kind of tall, rotund, sort of pink, English man with loafers, you know, um, <laughs> comes and he's really kind and sweet and he sort of walks around the shop and sort of looks sort of benevolently at things, doesn't say much, asks the odd question, but just sort of strolls around and looks around. A week later he comes back with like a full-on plan of the space and you can see they are kind of you know, compass points and degrees north and south. And so he says he has never seen a place with more great feng shui. And the place 
he says is distant for fame and prosperity. And he says like on this stretch of the road, all this good energy comes into the shop and it flows this way. And you know, all this time I thought it was me. No, it's the feng shui. <laughs> and I'm going to sound like I'm a feng shui expert, but I'm not. I'm just recounting what the clever man said. As personally upsetting as it is to lose the kitchen in its prime, Karin has been contemplating the greater landscape of loss. And you know, it's again that thing of like, we, we must expect change. We must expect migration. We yeah. must expect disaster. You know, and, and they, you know, they talk about sort of uh, the apocalypse. The apocalypse is just merely an uncovering of all the stuff that's always mm -hmm. been there. You know, race coming to the fore and people needing to grapple with their own whiteness. That's been there. Yeah. Been there. Because it's actually also kind of thinking about, about death. They talk about falling and falling further mm. and falling further and the possibility of falling into love. Mm. You know, the possibility of falling into love, that, that's what there is <laughs> that's left, you know. Yeah. You see, that's the other thing that we have now that we kind of need to see. It's our global connection, our shared thing, the, the flavors that we share. And that's what so much is like, that's Cape Town. That is Cape Town's mm -hmm. personality. As you say, the, the categories that you've been so obsessed with, yeah. I mean, they're, they're so irrelevant. I mean, yeah. you know, all the people that have come from Indonesia yeah. and all the spices and yeah. the Malay influence yeah. and the Dutch yeah. and all of that. It's like, well, of course you can yeah. have a essentially Cape Town establishment yeah. that yeah. serves Vietnamese yeah. spa and yeah. Indonesian rice exactly. and all of these things. It's exactly. like, it's just in the nature it's of how this we roll. city. It's yeah. how we roll. And, you know, the, the, well, one of the things we have going for us as South Africans, I think, is that we understand that we are a broken people. You know, we understand that we have not come with, mm. like, uh, an amazing, virtuous, you know, we've had broken, messed up governments. And at the same time, that's also good because it means we actually have to take things into our own hands. I kind of think of the little boy in the 80s with a stone in his hand looking up at a Casper, you know, mm. like, we kind of like that. Yeah. We kind of like, yeah. maybe it's also a kind of a little bit of a stereotypical kind of thing where you kind of use the resources that you have. I love that and you, you manipulate that. that. <laughs> I love that you said you use. I mean, even with like the space of the kitchen, you know, this little narrow sliver of a space. It's mm -hmm. like, well, you use that, and mm -hmm. that became mm -hmm. part of the personality, mm -hmm. and so much so that you were afraid of disrupting yeah. it. Yes. And, and I've been talking with a friend, a friend lately, about limitation in art and how yes. like limitations actually we, we, we yes. hate being limited mm -hmm. actually sometimes that is exactly what we need mm. and that's what forces us to be creative and we live in a world we live in a physical world mm. even painters they need paint they need mm -hmm. canvases you have to use what you've got absolutely as hard as it is now and believe me it is hard and we just got to know it's going to be hard you know, the best innovation comes from that, from that pain. Totally. Mm. South Africans, mm. 
you know, like just famously innovative. Yeah. Creepy crawlies. Yes. To clean your pools. <laughs> you know, incredibly advanced banking technology. Yes. Streets ahead of the rest of the world. Because it comes out of the, you know, medicines have got to be distributed through Africa to AIDS patients using cell phones. We do it. Right. We yeah. find ways of making water, we find ways of doing things, and we find ways of kind of living together and working together. When, when that lockdown first happened, um, one of the wonderful women who've worked with me for years and years, she said, Karen, we like oncrete. Oncrete is weeds. Yeah. We like weeds. We come up between the paving, paving stones and we will come back again. And she reminded me, we've been through hard things before. You know, he was telling me how her husband still has buckshot in the back of his legs from the 80s. Wow. From when he was shot as a kid. Wow. You know, wow. and that's still living in his body. You know, and never mind all the other hardship they've been through. You know, that family have been through since then. Right. And she's still saying, we like concrete. We come back. We can't keep us down. Mm. I was also just thinking of hard times that we've been through, like in the 80s. We thought the world was coming apart. People were disappearing. There were troops in the townships. It was bad. We thought we're never going to win. You know, we thought yeah. we're never going to win. Mm. And, and, and look where we are, you know. Yeah. We've been through wars. And, you know, it felt dark. It felt like the darkness is always going to overcome. But it didn't. So, this is a different thing. This is actually, we have so many more resources to. How has Karin's thinking changed about food and cooking for her family? And what are the indispensable ingredients for these times? We have Balmoral Market down the road from us. You know, um, look at these beautiful plum tomatoes that we've gotten. You know, you get a whole big bag of them for 12 rand. What can go wrong? You know, you, you're amazing. Now you I, I'm literally looking for things that are affordable and good and yeah. last well, you know, yeah. so um, so that I don't have to go to the shops a lot. We just make it work. And it's so, it's so fun to kind of like look at what have we got and yeah. make something out of, out of nothing, yeah. you know. And yeah. That's what I know how to do. And like really, really essential flavors. So what I call a restrained cauliflower soup. Literally... Literally, it has an onion, olive oil, and cauliflower, and salt. It does not have stock. It does not have white pepper. It does not have cream. It does not have anything that you normally think that you need to add to a thing. It's literally the cauliflower stews gently, and then you add liquid, and then it sort of takes on nuttier, fuller color. Then you puree the, the soup and you have it with, with a drizzle of olive oil on it. I can't even tell you how delicious. Yeah. It almost kind of tastes Asian. And I'm sort of tempted to put like a flaxseed oil on it. It kind of goes to our life right now. 
we've always felt like we need to bulk things up, like we need to have a huge choice. You know, I'm totally guilty of that. You know, you, you, to sell stuff, you must have a lot of stuff and you must have a big choice. And then you must kind of shore yourself up with insurance and money and mm. other things. <laughs> now I'm realizing the restrained cauliflower soup is actually what is right for now and what is delicious for now is the restrained cauliflower soup. Yes. As a metaphor, As a metaphor. for all of life. <laughs> all of life. When it comes to her life with a kitchen, what is Karen most grateful for? And what will she miss the most? So, you know, the kitchen has been a, obviously a huge part of my life and such an expression of my identity and who I am for many years now. And I just realize how lucky and blessed I've been to be able to do that every day. You know, to, to live my thing, to live my thing, to pour out my love like that every day for my, for my team, for the food, for the people I would see every day. I loved all the people. I loved all the people. And every day I got to do that. Every day I got to be in people's lives. And every day I got to share something delicious. And every day we got to make something amazing. And every day we got to collaborate and create something that kind of would bring people to tears, you know. And if Karen could have a last meal at the kitchen, what would it be? So, oh my gosh, my last meal at the kitchen. Well, I probably would like the egg fried rice and hummus, the beetroot apple coriander salad, maybe some dilly carrots, maybe a little bit of shepherd salad with pomegranate because mm -hmm. um, that goes nicely with the hummus, you see. And somehow the egg fried rice and the hummus I know. Yeah, I it's know. It's crazy. Doesn't make sense. Like Doesn't I said. make sense, but I do <laughs> love that. Um, and then maybe a little slice of gammon and some mustard. Um, oh, winter greens with tahini and crispy onions. Mm, that would be so good. Maybe a, maybe a love sandwich. Gosh, a love sandwich would be so good. My favorite love sandwich is actually aubergine and feta. Um, hummus? Hum well, not hummus on that, because oh. a little bit, just really the soft feta and the aubergine. Mm. It's kind of a little bit, tiny, a little bit oily from the aubergine, but kind of that oiliness going into the roll, you see, with the love potion and the red onions and some fresh tomato and some greens so now you have all that sort of compactness and squish it a little bit so you get a sort of flattish melanzani sandwich yeah. where all those things are becoming too wide yes exactly yeah. so all those flavors and so rich and delicious and then of course i would insist that i'd get one of our really good coffees but people didn't realize that our coffee at the kitchen was really really good really good um, I know. And it's amazing how I missed that. But mostly miss my team.
I miss my team very much. After this period of forced separation, of limits to our freedom to move and choose and connect in the flesh, what lessons might we carry with us into the future? How do we gather better? How do we gather so that everyone eats? How do we give people something nutritious and delicious and affordable? How do we be clear about not losing, you know, not... We, we do need to make money to live still. We're still in that economy, whether we like it or not. Um, but how do we do it sustainably and fairly? I think that people still need to see that there is beauty about. People still need to be inspired. People still need to reach for something beautiful, but maybe something simpler. And so maybe something truer, maybe something more essential. And so we still need to hold that up. And so people still need to see beauty and they still need to know that that's possible. Mm -hmm. But they also want to live with a clearer conscience as well. So I think people can do little things to live better, you know. Yeah. I think in terms of um, understanding that home and family and, and, and the intimacy of, of our relationships is so vital. But then we're also realizing how wonderful it is to be with people, you know. And to be with people without masks is even better. So we are holding out for that. I mean, we are going to yeah. need that. And this morning I woke up and my husband and I were saying, you know what, we've always talked about getting the neighborhood, the street party together. And this year we are going to do a street mm. party. And it's better now because our street has a WhatsApp group. Yeah. And so we can have a party quite easily. Right. And all the hodgepodge of strange individuals in our street, we will probably get co-sisters from, from Surrey at number 10. Yes. You know. And have a big party. I think we we want whole streets. We want to understand that connection. We want to see the pe the, the the older people who we've never seen. We need to gather them in. Hmm. If it means that you know parents come and live with people, this is good. If people go and live with parents, this is also fine. You know, yeah. maybe that's how it is. Maybe if your domestic worker and her children need to live with you, maybe that's and you got the space. Maybe you need to think about that because they're part of your family. That's your, your community. That's, that's it. Mm. You'll feel better about it. You know? So where there's the chance to do that, yeah. let's do it. Let's kind of spend the love. Spend it. Yes. Spread it. Let the light go on. Yes. You know? This has been Saying Goodbye with me, Haley Gaunt. Original theme music by Brian Keidel. Search for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review.
Until next time.